0: Welcome to the podcast with Suzanne and Amy brought to you by Homeschool Life magazine and our fabulous Patreon supporters. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Amy. And we are recording on Thursday, January 2nd, 2020. Happy New Year.
1: Happy New Year. I can't believe it's 2020. Remember when that seemed like this crazy futuristic date?
0: It Yeah, it's it's <laughs> absurd. It was the first time I like typed it when I was doing the little podcast notes. And I was like,
1: okay, this
0: is fine. This is good. One of um, my also- friends
1: posted on Facebook that if you were born in the 70s, which I was, you've oh. now lived in six decades, two centuries, and two millennia. <laughs>
0: Wow. Okay, that's pretty cool. And yeah. I was born in '69, so I can even I can one up you there. That's yes. That's
1: wow. Kind of, Seven decades.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, okay. So I just upfront, I feel like I I should mention to our listeners that I have a, a hangover, and it's Amy's fault, but not in the way <laughs> that you think. And we will. That's a tease. We'll talk about. We're going to talk about my hangover uh, a little bit later in the show. Um, it's much less interesting than than I'm making it sound, but um, but yeah, I I, I we're, I'm functioning pretty well. We'll see how it goes.
1: <laughs> I'm on three cups of coffee, so I could go for forty five minutes.
0: I'm like on like four or five hours of sleep, so that's that's my anyway. Um, so hey, let's talk about homeschool a little bit. It seems like it's been a little bit since we've done that. Yes,
1: yes. Well, we've. We've been doing the Library Chicken podcast every week, which is a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed just kind of doing these quick, hi, yeah. here's what I'm reading, adventure podcasts. That's been really fun. But I'm, I'm excited to dig into something meaty again about homeschooling because I feel like homeschooling is one of those things that you can just talk about it and talk about and talk about. It. It's, it's such a dense topic. <laughs>
0: At least the two of us can talk about it and talk
1: about it. Talk okay. About it. Well, fair enough.
0: <laughs> well, we were trying to decide what to talk about, and you know, we've always kind of brought like our individual homeschooling experience. I every time I do the math, I'm like, okay, my son's 21, minus, like about 16, 17 years of podcasting experience on my end. Uh, I mean, not podcasting homeschool experience <laughs> on my end, um, but then I think. And and many, many years on your end also, as you have a grown-up, a grown-up daughter. um, A decade,
1: a full decade.
0: That's right. Um, But I think the last three years at the Academy with working with a wide variety of students in the homeschool world, we have really learned some new lessons. We have come up with some, you know, it turns out we didn't know everything. (laughs)
1: Well, it's. I think it's been a really good reminder that the thing that is great about homeschooling is that it's for each individual student. No two right. people are alike. No two people learn the same way. No two people get excited about exactly the same things. No two people run into the same roadblocks. Like right. people are different. This is shocking. New
0: information. I know. Ne- never heard. It's like when you have the one kid and you're like, clearly I'm the best parent in the world. And then you have the second kid and you're like, oh, wait, I know nothing. I have no
1: idea what I'm doing. Yes.
0: <laughs> I have no clue. Um, so we thought we would talk about some lessons learned. Uh, in this in this homeschool podcast. And I, I'm, I'm sorry that I feel like I'm going to have to start out with some bad news. I feel like I'm already bringing it down because the first lesson I want to talk about is that um, grammar matters.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, that's the first thing on my list too.
0: <laughs> I know, I know. I feel like I'm so sorry. I feel like I'm telling everybody to eat their vegetables. But I mean, so, well, my experience, and I want to hear your experience too, but we I mean, the kids. um, uh, Grammar has always mattered because we want to be able to speak and write clearly and be understood. Right. But beyond that, being able to talk about it, being able to talk about the parts of speech so that you can learn another language or this is the big one i kind of thought as an old cranky get off my lawn gen xer that kids today wouldn't have to worry about things like proofreading right because you just put it all in your magic computer box and it automatically spell checks and it automatically grammar checks hey it turns out they don't pay any attention to that at all right <laughs> they still have to learn how to proofread they still have to learn how to check their spelling check their grammar because and I am mystified. I mean, I have gone in there. I mean, I have. I went from like, okay, well, I guess I will let them use spell check on their computer. Mutter, mutter, mutter. It wasn't like this in my day. To begging them, begging them to use spell check on their computer <laughs> because it doesn't seem like they automatically do that. What about? What do no. you think? Well,
1: I I think part of it is because so many of the, I, like I I was helping a student write some application essays for this special program. And so we met, you know, we we came in together and we're sitting down at the table, we had our drinks in front of us. I pop open my laptop and he pulls out his phone and starts writing with his thumbs on his phone Red. his essay. He's writing his no, no, essay. No, 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 no,
0: no. What did, did you did do? Some... <laughs> my jaw would have just dropped. I would have been like, "Wait, what are what are you doing, young person? What what is even <laughs> happening?"
1: Yes, well, it was it was really interesting, because that is how he felt the most comfortable writing. So what he would do is he would write a paragraph on his phone with his thumbs, and he would send it to me, and I would open it in word and we would look at it together. And we would, because you write, I I think really differently when you're texting someone. I mean, I know that, for instance, when I text you in the morning, and I'm like, Oh, crap, running late, need more coffee, no shoes. Like that makes sense to you and me, right? Right. Right. But right. Yeah. That's not how I would write an essay. Like I understand that there are different kinds of writing, but it's um, been hard to teach some of the yeah. students that that texting thumb writing, I'm going to call it from now on, yeah. thumb writing is not you have to do more than that to write an essay.
0: Right. And this is not this is just to be clear, we're not out here going, you know, the internet has ru- ruined communication forever. It's just like no, it turns out that these skills, these, you know, being able to write something and to proofread it with all the technological tools in the world is still something that you have to practice, that you kind of have to know what, what a good end result looks like, right? It doesn't just magically happen. You can't just magically type it out with your thumbs, and then put it in the computer box. Well, it
1: turns out it's just like a regular toolbox, right? Like, I have a toolbox. I own a toolbox. I don't know what half the stuff in there does. Like, I just go look at it, and I'm like, where's the screwdriver? The screwdriver I know. The screwdriver I can use. But it turns out that grammar is the same way. All these tools are awesome. and They do make writing easier and they make it more efficient and they can make it better. But you have to know what you're doing with them. You have to know how to use them for them to be any good at all.
0: So I guess so our lesson learned, I think, is that as a homeschooling parent or as a homeschooling educator I know when we're thinking about what we want our students to learn, I mean, grammar is something that I really went back and forth on. I'm like, if my if my kids can communicate well, right, if they know by ear what a good sentence sounds like pretty well and all that kind of good stuff, do we really need to go through kind of the pain and suffering of some of this grammar, the parts of speech and and, and pra- drilling, right? A lot of it is drilling, just, you know, yeah. proofread, this sample document, this kind of thing, because it was not one of the fun lessons. Um, and I think the answer that we both come to is, yeah, yeah, well, it, it can make a big difference.
1: If you're in high school and you don't really understand what an adverb is, right? maybe you can fake that in your writing, but you can't fake it in your literature analysis. You can't right. fake it in your study of Latin. You have to know what an adverb is so you know when to use the ablative case. It's right. surprisingly relevant across the board. It's not just about writing with your thumbs. I know that was that was just crazy to me. <laughs> so,
0: no, that's, the, well, no, but, I mean, you're going to, you're going to take, you're going to take a foreign language. Your your teacher is going to expect you to know what a noun and a verb and how to, you know, when she says verb tenses, expects you to know, expects you to know what it is. So, I, I mean, say, I. I
1: say in my Latin one class, there were only two students out of 12 who could tell me what a noun was. And See, that was sh- shocking to me. Okay. Partly that's because they didn't
0: grow up with Schoolhouse Rock though.
1: Right. Right. And, and partly they kind of knew what a noun was. They just, right. I, I'm sure there were lots of people who, who understood what a noun was without knowing how to define it. I'm not, but, but to me, that was really, really shocking. It is. And it well, really I found puts them at a disadvantage.
0: Too. Right. Well, and it's also like, I mean, it's something maybe that you kind of expect to kind of pick up from the ether and you're not. I mean, you need to, you know, I think I think you need to have some kind of grammar education, whatever that may look like.
1: Right. Um, It doesn't have to be grammar drills the way that we used to do them. Right. It it could be anything. But knowing the terms of basic grammar. And I I actually said um, there's no substitute for good basic grammar and math. Because yeah. I think math is the same way. If you show up without the ability
0: to multiply or divide,
1: you're you're really at a disadvantage.
0: Yeah, and it, it makes the hills so much harder to climb. It's like you're not even speaking. You're not even speaking the same language. And right. uh, so, so I guess this is this is a cry of support out there for all of you in homeschool land who are who are trying to get your kids to do grammar and math. <laughs> <laughs> and you're doing the right thing. You really are. And and just, it, it'll make a difference in the end and they'll probably never thank you for it. But, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it's it not, does it's matter. It's not as
1: though um, if you don't do these things, your child is doomed and everything is terrible. Absolutely um, not. But you're definitely giving your student an advantage if you take the time to help them understand good, basic grammar and math.
0: No and if substitute. you don't, It'll probably at some point it'll end up being a little bit of a stumbling block that they will have to they you know they'll learn what they need to learn, but they might not see it coming. Right. right? Um, yeah. So that was that was my first one. How about you? Do you have do you have any other lessons for our?
1: <laughs> well, one lesson that I've really learned um, from from the academy, but also from my own homeschool, is that just because something worked doesn't mean it's going to keep working. Uh Um, just because it worked for one kid doesn't mean it's going to work for your other kids. Just because it worked for one year, doesn't mean it's going to work the next year. Just because it worked one week doesn't mean, just because it was like the best Friday you ever had doesn't mean if you try to repeat it the next Friday,
0: it will have the same
1: effect. Like
0: it's a constant state of flux. That is so, and it's so disappointing. Oh my gosh. Especially when you plan something for the class or something where, um, like when you have a really great plan, right? Yeah. Like, oh, I, we're going to do this experiment and it's going to be so much fun and it's hands-on and everybody says, oh, hands-on is more interesting and I'm not going to be, and then you do it and it's kind of a disaster, <laughs> It it's but so painful, right? Because or you spend they're... a ton of money on something. Oh like my the gosh, story yeah.
1: of science, which I just loved doing with my daughter. Right. My daughter right. and I were crazy about the story of science. It was the best. We used the Johns Hopkins extender, and we just loved it. And then I tried to bring it into the junior high for science, and it was the biggest meh in right. the world. I mean, right. it was not terrible, but it was so not good. It was the most met. Don't you think, oh, you can say, it doesn't
0: hurt. My no, family. no, no. We didn't, we didn't, uh, the students didn't love learning it and we didn't enjoy teaching it in the class. No. Even, even like bringing in the experiments, you know, I think, I think, uh, <laughs> so years ago, this is, this is a digression. Years ago when I was a brand new parent and I was super stressing about everything and I had made it to a par- the park with a friend of mine who had a young child, a few years older, and we got there. And I don't remember, there was some disaster. Like we got there and spent five minutes and my kid had a complete meltdown and we had to leave right away. Right. And it had been so much effort to get there. And I felt like such a failure that we couldn't <laughs> make it work. And she said, you get credit for coming to the park. It doesn't matter how long you spend. And I, I think of that sometimes when I have spent like Days pulling together all of these various materials for an experiment or something. And I'm excited, and it's going to be hands on, and the kids are going to love learning and they're going to love science. And then we get in the classroom, and for whatever reason, right? It's a Wednesday, or so and so is, you know, in a bad mood, or they're all wired from something that happened earlier. It just doesn't work out. They're not paying attention, they're not interested, they're not loving it, even though it's hands on. And everybody says they should love it if it's hands on, you know. So I feel like, okay, I'm going to give myself credit for trying (laughs) and I'm going to remember what was fun and what was hard about this and try to apply it next time. But knowing that next time might be a completely different day and that it might not it might have worked better on a different day. You just never know. Yes.
1: Well, so that's what I think that you should go in kind of trying to live regret free. So don't spend a billion dollars on a curriculum because you could justify it saying that you'll use it
0: for four kids.
1: Because you may or may not. You should spend the amount of money you feel good about spending.
0: That's right. Yeah, and don't spend money or time tracking down the one weird, you know, uh, ingredient you need for the one uh, experiment or art project or whatever it is. Because if you, you know, if you can do that one thing, it's going to make the, it's not. That one thing is not going to make the difference, right? It's okay to say that's too complicated.
1: Don't give up on something that's working fine, thinking that there's some magical thing that will work better. Because, yeah, it's totally possible that some magical thing might give you a couple of great Fridays. But overall, it's probably going to balance out into just an okay thing. I, I mean, that is because most most homeschooling things are really okay. They average yeah. out to really okay, <laughs> and, and that's actually very good. You know, that's
0: it's good. It's good. I think it's just hard. We have to, especially I think for you and I, and people who like to, you know, those of us who like really plan ahead and have all these wonderful <laughs> themes about. How I don't awesome know what you're talking about. Um, but I think the lesson we keep learning over and over and over is uh, flexibility. You know, bringing a new attitude to every day, and gosh, keeping our sense of humor. Yeah, I mean, you just have to laugh if the if the experiment that I spent you know two weeks tracking out materials for just doesn't work. You know what? That's just <laughs> that's it's just, just the, the way, way it, was. That
1: it is, and that's and that's okay because. Because I think that we hold ourselves to this impossibly high standard. Mm -hmm. We're going to constantly create these magical, perfect learning moments with our family. Absolutely, right. And I think if we get like five of those a year, we're kind of rock stars and we should celebrate that. Like five magical learning moments a year is amazing. Most of the time though, it's just your everyday life because that's what homeschooling is, part of your everyday
0: life. Well, and I think it's okay to remember that people who teach and, you know, teachers at all levels, whether you're in a public school, whether you're at a college, whether, you know, it's it's a process of experimentation, right? It's a process of trying new things in the classroom, seeing how they work, you know, remembering what works. And if something doesn't work, being like, okay, you know, we gave that a shot, moving on to the next thing. So we are like all the other. Everybody else in the world just figuring out as we go along.
1: <laughs> I will say it does help to have a friend who you can repeat the same stress to every single yes. week or every single month, every single year. You come up with the same. You run into the same. What am I going to do for math, Suzanne? I don't know what to know. do for math. Well, and it's see, nice to have a friend who doesn't remind you that you just <laughs> asked them about that last year. I
0: appreciate you. Suzanne. See, I feel I feel like you're saying that because I call I, I texted you the other day and was like, Amy. Hey, <laughs> My reading list, what are we going to do? I'm throwing out everything I had decided. Everything I told you, I'm throwing it away. I need all new stuff. Um, okay, so that was another thing on my list, actually, <laughs> was, um, okay, because you guys know that reading is my thing, right? This is the one reason I wanted to homeschool was because I could read books with my children. Um, I guess you could do that if you send your kids to public school. Maybe I should have thought about that. But anyway
1: then um, you have to put on real pants sometimes. Then you have I to know, put on real pants. You have to get, get up to when the school
0: in. bus is there. Nope, nope. Um, and so I have really, really, with my kids, I was always on the, like, uh, push them, right? Push them into reading, uh, you know, reading at the next level. Push them from YA to to, uh to adult by which I mean like Agatha Christie and, and right. stuff like that you and know we uh, spend a
1: lot of time thinking about like transition books like Agatha right. Christie the books that move you from the YA section of the library to the adult section of the library right.
0: books that are that are good for you you should read this author you should be able to say you've read this author or read this award-winning book and all this kind of stuff and what I am learning and it's not easy, and I keep learning it over and over. And Amy has to come and hold my hand every single semester about this. Is that um, I really? It's it's the goal, right? Keep the goal in mind. The goal is I want to have students who love reading and who approach reading as something that is going to be fun and interesting. And even if they hate the book, they can still they can have fun tearing it apart, right? Um, And the way to do that is not for me to focus on what's good for them, but to focus on something that is fun and that's at the right level. Right. It's okay In my in my classroom of students, like we said, every student is different. Um, I need to be aware of the readers that I have in the classroom. Some of those kids are reading every night for pleasure. And some of those kids, the only book they're going to pick up that semester is the book that I assigned. So I have a big responsibility to make sure that they have a positive, um, a positive uh, feeling about that, a positive experience with that book. You know what I mean? Right.
1: Well, it's a Um, balance, too, because you are, you do want them to grow in confidence and ability as readers while not sucking the joy and fun out of reading. I actually think that you do a great job with that. And I have well, no problem reassuring you of that a couple of times a year because you reassured me about things. <laughs> like, well, I mean, week. I
0: did, I did the same thing this past semester. I made up a list of books that I was excited about reading and I was excited for the reasons that we were reading them. And then when I looked at it, I'm like, you know, coming it from the perspective of like, these may be the only books that some kids are reading this semester. Are they going to enjoy them? And the great thing the great thing is that there are so many books out there that are well-written, that um, are, you know, that have a lot of good stuff to talk about, and they also are fun to read, right? Well, They're like
1: A Pot a witch which you had them right. read last year. I mean, my son, who was in your class, has listened to the second book on audio already because he liked
0: the first one so much. Right. I mean- Oh, and that and that should be that should be a lesson learned, that audio books as, count as real reading. Absolutely. Yes, um, but, yeah. but I
1: mean, I think that you have done a great job introducing them yeah. to books that they that they love enough to, to go out and seek more of on their own. I mean, what more could you ask for?
0: That's right. So once again, and actually, after this podcast, we'll probably be sitting down, tearing <laughs> down my my good for you book list and building one that is that is that is good for you, but it is also fun. It is uh, uh, appropriate for kids who may. You know some kids can read a hundred pages in an hour and a half and some kids couldn't read a hundred pages in a week right that's trying to be something that's fun but that that uh, appreciates all of the differences in the classroom all the different kind of readers that we have and that is less about pushing them um, and more about having students who enjoy reading and who read consistently right that that even if they don't pick up a book for pleasure, they are comfortable, like kind of always having a book going. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing that I try to do that I, that I always have to mention this because I feel like I didn't do a good job in my own homeschool is the diversity thing, bringing in as much diversity in terms of authors, in terms of protagonists, in terms of everything as we can, because the schools aren't doing it. The, you know, you and I have talked about how my daughter when she went off to high school, she didn't have required reading by a woman until her senior year.
1: Which is just crazy. Right. And I mean, right. I, I, I grew up you know, I, I I did my doctorate in literature. I grew up and read so many white men. So so yeah. many white men. Yeah. Over the course of my education. And I don't I don't regret that. I read great books by really talented writers. And so, so I do I mean i I struggle with this issue of the new canon because there's a lot of good stuff in the right. old canon, and right. I don't think that we have to wad it all up and throw it away, right, right.
0: no, so, I agree
1: but i but I feel like we missed so much right There are writers who are not like new writers who are who, who've been dead for hundreds of years, who are people of color, who are women who are not straight white men, whose work has just, like, been shelved. (laughs) And I'm happy to see it coming off the shelves. I really, really am. And I would pick it over a book by a white author because almost everyone else is picking the white male author.
0: Well, that's the thing. They're going to get it. They're going to get it in, like, high school, college, whatever kind of regular, you know, whenever – it's out there. The, what, the canon isn't going away. And I don't actually want to, I don't want to uh, blame the high school teachers or anything because there is so much good stuff out there and you can only read so much. But one of the great things I think we can do as homeschoolers and as homeschoolers, particularly of elementary, middle grades kids, there's so much great new stuff out there. Uh, people of color uh, writing and um about the immigrant experience, LGBTQ plus experiences, everything, there's so much new stuff that is out there. And I think when we're not talking about a new canon, we're talking about just a great read. Yeah, You can really, and you have to do it yourself. Like I thought I was doing a good job. I really, I really worked hard on gender diversity. I really worked hard to make sure that my boys read books with uh, female protagonists. But in my own homeschool, I did not do a good job of, you know, getting out of kind of the white uh I think
1: I what your daughters what your daughter, what your daughter yeah. said about your reading
0: choices. Yeah. <laughs> what did she say? Yeah, scampering. we always yes, yeah, scampering British children. We are always just reading about and and it's and you know, I didn't really think about it because I was bringing the books that I loved when I was growing up when it wasn't as easy. They were books were out there But it wasn't as easy to find them, I think. Right. Um, And there's no excuse now. Like when I'm making up my reading list, there's no excuse now for not being able to produce a diverse slate. So anyway, those are all of my feelings about reading lists and how fun is good because the end result, the end goal is to create happy, um, excited, eager readers.
1: Yes. Yeah, well, I think that you do a great job with that. So I I never know why you worry about it, but I appreciate (laughs) that you care. Well, and I think that that is is one of the things on my list that this kind of segues naturally into is that I think it's important to, one of the things I've learned is that you really have to ask yourself why you're worried about something. Why do you care so much about it? Because if you really dig down past the superficial why, oh, my child will never get into college, oh, my child will fail at life and be miserable, there's right. often a reason driving you that may not be a reason that you want to be driven by. Like you may be driven by, oh, well, your next door neighbor's kid is already reading chapter books and your son is still just reading picture books. Right. And so so that's why you think you're failing. But, but that's maybe not what you want your homeschool to be driven by. Or yes. maybe you're terrified that your child is going to never get into college and they're 10. So right. maybe that's maybe yes. maybe you should be looking at things that like you want your child to know when they're 12. You know? <laughs> so I think it's very easy to get to just like live with this sort of fear about what you're right. doing. To be really afraid and, and I, I don't like to, to pick at what I'm afraid of, but, but I think if you do start picking at it, if you do get to the assumptions that underlie it, it can be really surprising. You can be really worried about something that you do not need to worry about at all.
0: Well, and also the world is changing so quickly. You know, for for most of us, our own educational experiences, you know, if we're teaching in elementary school or a middle school kid, you know, they were a, a few decades ago, right? and right. You know, I think about the debate over handwriting, which I actually don't have an opinion on for lessons learned. But, um, you know, it's 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 worth the time to look at what you're uh, to look at what you're teaching. And like you said, to ask why, what is the end result? You know, we talked about grammar and proofreading, you know, okay, well, we have a good why there. We have a good end result. We talked about reading and it's like, okay, well, so maybe the why there, you know, what is the why there and how do we achieve that goal? Um, so, yeah, I think it's always good to examine, examine the assumptions that you're making without realizing it
1: right.
0: uh, and to to figure out. The, and it's ki- it's kind of fun. I mean, you know, I mean, maybe maybe I'm a nerd, but I have really enjoyed thinking about the philosophy of education. Right. right. And if I'm going to send out an 18 year old into the world, what what does an educated 18 year old look like in the year 2020? Um, and, and how does that go beyond what uh, what we consider to be a standard education? So it can yeah. be fun, too, it, along it, with being you know scary.
1: <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, it's um, assumptions are one of the most fun things to look at when you're doing historical or literary analysis, too, which is totally nerdy. But I, that's one thing that I always ask my students to consider is, is what is the author assuming? What, what assumptions are implicit in mm-hmm. this text? Because it tells you a lot. And I think we, most homeschoolers homeschool because we care about our kids' education, which means that we think about it a lot. Every homeschool group that I belong to, people are talking about big, deep homeschooling questions all the time. We care so much. But we bring to that all kinds of our own baggage. We bring our own educations. We bring the way that things that we wish our parents had done differently. We bring things that we wish we'd done differently. We bring everything we've ever read and studied, all Mm -hmm. of our experiences. And with that, we bring a ton of assumptions about what learning should be or feel or look or seem like. And when we start unpacking that, that's when we can really get in touch with what our kids need and how to be better educators. And wow, that sounded nerdy. I need inspiration (laughs) music again. Sorry.
0: (laughs) We need the horns, the horns building, the (laughs) horns building under that. No, but I. know what I'm saying. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, and sometimes the why goes the other way, right? Sometimes we think in homeschooling, we can throw something out and it turns out we may actually need it. Right. right, and which leads me to another thing on my list that I feel like is bad news, because <laughs> <laughs> because I'm I'm about to say uh, that testing experience with test taking tests and experience with doing homework matters, and and I know I know what you're saying. We all homeschooled because we are not. We all homeschooled. Many of us homeschooled because we wanted to throw a lot of that out. Right. Um, I know I did. I know that that we didn't give tests or and you can't have homework when you're all doing it at home. Right. And I I feel like those are all really important things and that there's a lot that's out of whack with our system. And when I say that testing matters, I'm not saying that because of the grade that you're going to get at the end of the test. I'm saying that because there are skills that our kids need to learn that without that kind of uh structure without that kind of scaffolding it can be really hard and i'm talking about things like reading instructions interpreting instructions you know on your own without the teacher sitting right next to you and and reading them aloud to you or asking for help communicating about uh things like deadlines do you you know it absolutely has to be turned in by this date um Organizing your time. Uh, if you have a test, what to study, how to study. These are all skills that I think in the homeschool world, it can they they can kind of fall by the wayside, right? They again, like with grammar and proofreading, it turns out they don't happen automatically. We have to give our kids uh, the opportunities to practice those skills, right? Um, because it, you know, when when we are carrying a lot of that load for them by sitting next to them at the table, uh, they just don't get they don't get in the habit. They don't they don't learn how to do that on their own.
1: Well, and I think that we think about these as skills that kids will need for college, mm-hmm. right? And and mm-hmm. I and so I think um, you know some of us fairly enough feel like maybe college isn't the be all end all. It's not the absolute path. But I think most of us want our kids to have that option, right? We want them to be prepared so that if they choose not to go to college, they're choosing not to go to college. It's because there's a better alternative. And I think we underestimate how important those skills are out in the professional world. I mean, I don't. I don't like to say this because I I feel like it sounds really negative and I don't mean it like that. I think, uh, but, but I hire interns from the magazine for homeschool life. I hire interns um, not every summer, but most summers. And I have had a real problem with homeschoolers who don't follow directions, who don't do well with deadlines, who don't understand about copy editing or making sure that the work that they turn in is their best work and ready to go. And I mean, I I see that as like part of the job of an internship, right? Part of the job of an internship is to teach you how to do those things. So I mean, that's I'm not saying, oh, no, these terrible homeschoolers. But I see the students, I've hired a few students who go to private school or a different kind of school too to be interns. And there's a big difference. The kids who go to school have a lot of experience with following instructions and hitting deadlines that homeschoolers don't. It gives them an advantage. In this particular area. Now, right. do we want to spend our whole lives training for this? Heck no. Like education shouldn't be about passing a test or hitting a deadline. That should not exactly. be the
0: goal. But exactly. having it
1: part of what you do, I think is super important.
0: And I don't think we want to underestimate uh, how anxiety producing it can be for yes. kids who haven't had those experiences. You know, I walk into my, to my classroom here at the academy and like, all right, guys, we're going to have a test. And my, particularly my homeschooler, you know, the, the ones who have been uh, in homeschool rather than coming from a traditional school background kind of freak out, right? And I'm there and I'm like, guys, we don't do grades in middle school, right? I mean, this is just to see how you're doing. This is just to give you some practice. It doesn't matter. There's no grade report going home to your parents. There's no, uh, there's no permanent record, but there's there's so much just around the concept That is very scary, and I think there's, you know, we had this in my own homeschool. I've talked about this before with my daughter. We would do the um, standardized testing, and I was mostly doing it for my own, you know, to see how how we were doing, and also so they could practice filling in bubbles. And she had, she was so miserable. She had so much test anxiety around it when there were no stakes. There was zero stakes. There was nothing bad that could happen from this experience, and so part of the testing, part of the homework is becoming desensitized to it, right? To realize that, you know what, you know, this grade is not, it doesn't mean anything about who you are as a human being. I can do it. You know, I, I, I can learn the skills to study and to organize my time and to do well on the test. Or if I don't do well, okay, I take another one later on. You know what I mean? It's right. If they don't have the chance to practice, then there is a danger, especially for some kids, that they can kind of blow those experiences up into these big, scary, unknown things. When, you know, in fact, I have actually thought in the academy about adding more testing in less, like I don't even care about grading the test sometimes. Sometimes it's just, I'm going to say something, I'm going to give you some work to do, and I'm going to call it a test. And I'm going to keep doing it until until it feels normal and not scary yeah. and well, just part of the things that you do.
1: Right. Because like I see this with the junior high really heavily, um, where if you do a review session, like, a, like an escape room or some kind of activity, mm-hmm. they're getting 90 percent of the answers correct. They understand right. the yes. material. They're able right. to regurgitate it. But when you hand them a test, they freak out and they usually don't do as well which is interesting, right. I think.
0: Which is interesting. And we don't want to send them out like that, right? I right. mean, we we do not want to spend valuable class time teaching to the test or spending all the time testing. Unfortunately, that's such a problem for so many of my friends in the public school system right now. But we also don't want to send them out knowing the material, but, not, but only being able to um, show it in certain ways, right? We want them to be able to show it on a standardized test and on a on a regular pen and paper test, and then also in a fun review kind of way. So um, there's so many different ways to accomplish these goals. But I do think it's important, more important than I had realized, uh, to have this kind of scaffolding, to have this kind of structure somewhere in your homeschool experience. And, you know, maybe that's worth the whole podcast sometime is how we can bring these testing and homework experiences into homeschool without bringing all the pain and suffering (laughs) that comes along with it.
1: And when to introduce them, because I think clearly it's not something that's hugely important in the elementary years. It's absolutely it's one of those things that kind of comes up when you start middle school and when and how to introduce it without making it something that people dread and hate, I think is as
0: important as introducing it. Absolutely. 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 So what's next on your list?
1: Well, I have one thing that I have learned, um, especially from my high school students, which is it's better to spend quality time on one thing than to try to cover everything. Mm -hmm. This happens to me in history and literature, especially because... Well, history, for example, there's no way that you're ever going to cover every single thing in history. You take world history and you are picking and choosing and you are leaving tons and tons and tons of stuff out. And so your instinct is knowing that to try to load as much as you possibly can in, right? Because you want to <laughs> get- Raising my like, hand. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> you, you, you can't get it all. So you have to get as much as you can.
0: Just, like, just at me next time, Amy. Just, yeah, the <laughs>
1: But I have found that it's actually better to hone in on one specific thing. For instance, this year in our U.S. history class, we spent... Seven weeks on the Salem witch trials, just the Salem witch trials.
0: Which is out of a 14 week semester. So you are talking, you know, that's a large chunk of time. But I feel like
1: the skills that they learn there are skills that apply to every period of history. We learned how to look at primary sources and evaluate them, we learned how to search for relevant and quality information. We learned how to make connections to literature and science and other parts of history. We learned how to do all these things, studying the Salem witch trials, that they can then use to study any period of history that they want to effectively, better, more intelligently with, with mm-hmm. better critical thinking. And I feel like the same thing in literature. We spent, you know, half a semester on Antigone, not that not this semester, but but a couple of years ago, we spent half a semester reading Antigone, just Antigone, reading it carefully, thoroughly and thoughtfully. And yes, we could have read more Greek drama. You know, we missed a lot of Greek drama by just focusing on Antigone. But I think that they could go and read any Greek drama that they wanted to now with the skills and the information and the background that they learned from reading Antigone. And more and more, I feel like that's what we want to give students is not this breadth of knowledge, because we can't ever cover everything, but right. a depth of knowledge that they can then use to build the breadth that they want.
0: Well, and as a bonus, as a as a fun side effect, um, it's more fun, right? Yes. I mean, it's always <laughs> more interesting to do a deep dive into a a topic and uh, and learn about the individual characters and and characters. Learn about the people involved than it is to skim over the surface. So if you can, you know, that's how I developed a love of history was not skimming over the surface, but was like doing a deep dive into the individual human beings affected. And then they can go and find the 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 breadth on their own. right? If, right. You, if you, again, you produce a student who loves learning history, they're gonna go out and read it on their own. And it's hard to love history. It's hard to love literature if you are just doing a fast skim over the top and if trying to hit as much. PowerPoint.
1: Yeah. That's, I think of it as like PowerPoint history where you're just skimming through. And I yeah. teach AP US history this year, which necessarily does involve a lot of skimming through and it feels different. It, it doesn't, it's not as satisfying of a class. I think the kids will be happy that they took it. Doing all right. the AP tests is important. It's a good kind of background class to have in your pocket, but, but teaching AP US history at the same time I'm teaching these in-depth classes just reinforces for me that it is better to go deep.
0: Yeah. No, I think, I think that's, I think that's really true. And, um, and again, high school is really the opportunity that we have to, you know, that's when it's all coming together, right? All of these skills that they've learned, all of this, um, These ins and outs, you know, that they can that they have the ability to do these really deep dives, Um, which which brings me to the last the last thing on my list, which um, is that we I think as homeschoolers, we absolutely have a responsibility to plan ahead for high school. Right. Yes. Um, Yes. I don't want to say that elementary isn't important. We know elementary is super important. I don't want to say middle school isn't important. We know middle school is super important. But high school is that, you know, it is the stepping stone for whatever they're doing next in their life as a young adult, whether that's college or work or whatever. And so it does have more of an impact than elementary, middle school, right? You can make you can do a lot in elementary and middle school you can you can homeschool and go to regular school and go back to homeschool you can take time off you can decide not to do math for a year right you can you can play around a lot and you should because you have the room and the space and and all of it to do that but once you're in high school you are building some kind of, you know, you're building a transcript, you're building a resume, you're building a portfolio that you're going to take with you to the next step. And it's like a
1: staircase
0: to your future
1: and you want it to be
0: solid. Right. And, and the only way to do that, I think the only way to help our students do that is if we know, you know where we're starting, right? Where are we starting on that staircase? and know what the goal is, and that's both in terms of the ultimate goal, like, okay, my student really wants to go to college, right? Their career that they're interested in, they really need a college degree, or maybe the goal is just, you know, the GED, maybe the goal, you know, the goal can be a whatever it is, but you you need to know where you're starting and where the goal is and then plan for that. And. We have seen over and over in our, um, I think at the school, it is so hard to switch back and forth between different tracks in high school. Yes. Uh, people, if you start out on the homeschool track and then you switch to the traditional school track, um, you're probably not going to bring your credits with you. You're probably, probably not, not going to be. Them. Right. It's. It's, it's very, very challenging. It's, it's, it's such an order of magnitude different than it would be in elementary or in middle school. And uh, the way to deal with that, I think the only thing, because we can't see into the future, is to be aware and to talk with the students and to work together to figure out, okay, what's our goal? What's our plan? Do we know that we want to try traditional school? Okay, well, then let's start that ninth grade and then we can go back to homeschooling if it doesn't work, right? Have a plan A, but also have a plan B, C, D, and E. We know as homeschoolers that we may have to be flexible. You know, whether we're homeschoolers who are now going to the traditional school world, right? We don't want to give up that flexibility, but we do want to make it as easy on our students as possible, which means we need to have the backup plan. We need to be aware of the, I've got this in quotes, worst case scenario right <laughs> like maybe the worst case scenario is gosh we really want to do homeschooling we're not sure we might end up you know that's our plan a but maybe our plan b is traditional or maybe life changes right and you can't do homeschooling anymore and you need to go to traditional school um okay the worst case scenario there is maybe you're going in as a so you know you would be going in as a sophomore but you can't get your freshman credits to carry over so you're starting over again in traditional school well ultimately what's the end result of that okay you graduate at age 19 instead of age 18. and that's not the end of the world right if you right. can sit, sit down with your kid and say hey this is what we want to try but let's be aware that if we do it this way and we have to make a change you know you might you might end up graduating at age 19 or whatever um That's the kind of thing that if you think about it ahead of time and you're like, oh, okay, well, we could totally live with that. That's not a big deal. It's much different than if you discover it by accident, right? You're not prepared and it can come as a real blow if you don't realize uh, what your options are. Um, Yeah,
1: I I think that is so true because I think a lot of homeschooling you can try and see. Right, like, mm-hmm. like that is the story. Exactly. Uh, what could possibly go wrong?
0: Right, what could that go is... wrong? Set the kitchen on fire. Only done it once, but it was El- fine. <laughs> elementary school,
1: even middle school, I, th- I think, kind of feel that way. Where, well, why not try it? Right. What, what does it hurt mm-hmm. to try it? But in high school, sometimes there are consequences to trying it, and you, you want right. to be aware of those. It doesn't mean that you can't try it. It just means that you need to be aware of. Of what what the cost is, because high school is all about opportunity cost. You're firmly in opportunity cost world. Doing Mm. this means you can't do this, and there are implications for that.
0: And I would absolutely never tell a parent whose student is struggling in one area, oh, well, you can't switch. You can't try another option because you're already locked in. Absolutely not. That is is never what I would say. No, no, not at all that. But you need to kind of go in. I mean, you know, I'm a I'm a list person. Um, I mean, this is even even if you're not getting ready for high school is probably the time when it's good to sit down and say, okay, realistically, these are all the options we have for high school. There's traditional public school. Maybe there's private school. Maybe there's homeschool hybrid. Maybe there's straight homeschool. Maybe there's online, you know, through the through the state all of those options. And again, the opportunity costs, what are, you know, what, what are the opportunity costs of those options and which ones seem to be the easiest way to get to our end post high school, young adult goal and talk about it. Make, you know, I, I, I think, I know it is so hard for me. I am just learning with uh, kids three and four uh, kids one and two aren't too happy about this, but I am finally learning <laughs> with kids three and four not to micromanage my children's high school lives, because I think as an adult, we are all aware, not that you can make a mistake and ruin your life so much, but that you can you can make it harder for yourself than it has to be. So, I, you know, I want them to take the classes that are going to go well on the transcript that's going to make it easier for them to get into the college. but. Uh, the problem is that I was doing it out of my knowledge and instead of doing it in cooperation with them and trusting that they understand who they are. They understand their you know that they have thought about their goals and that they know what, quote, worst case scenarios they are willing to live with or they're not willing to live with, right? So I think it's something that we do have to bring our experience to when we are helping them, but we also need to trust that you know they need to have a voice in the decision about what options they want to try, and like I said, what consequences they're willing to. Okay, well maybe I'll graduate at age nineteen. I can live with that. That's not a big deal. Or there's no way I'm going to do that. Right. Right. Um, that would be terrible. So I want to graduate with my friends. So um, so yeah, I think I think over and over we have seen that reinforced in the school.
1: Well, uh-huh. I know we get, um, and I know that this is a weird, a weird thing. People often are like, Ava, you're doing this wrong. But we get tons of inquiries from people who I don't think would be a good fit for the school, who I think are looking for something else. And so I spend several hours talking them through the other options. I say, mm-hmm. I, I don't think this is actually what you want, because from what you say, it, it doesn't sound like a hybrid homeschool is what you want to do. It sounds like you want something different. And so I, I think it's really important to go through all the options because sometimes it seems like, oh, this one thing this will change everything. But just right, as, this is a I solution.
0: Would, yeah. Yes,
1: but but there are a lot of solutions, and you can put together one that really works for your particular kid, which is the whole point. Always the whole point.
0: And we do have an advantage as homeschoolers because I think we are already used to thinking about these options, right? Yeah. I mean. Somebody who has kind of like never really considered homeschooling and has done traditional school all the way through, and then it reaches a point where it's just not working, you know, that can feel like a very panicky kind of situation. And of course, they're reaching for the next solution, right? So we have a little bit of an advantage that we're used to thinking of options. But I think we also are used to, if we've homeschooled like all the way through, we're used to having a lot of freedom. And uh, we do need to be a little bit more... I think, thoughtful and plan ahead and, and kind of when we're talking about high school. You know, we've talked about the junior high at the academy that sometimes kids just want to come for a year, right? They need to just come for a year. They need to decompress maybe from a bad experience they've had in regular school. Um, they make some friends. They remember that they enjoy learning. They remember that they're good at it. Mm-hmm. And then they're ready to go back to, uh, you know, a different, more traditional schooling type of world. In high school. You know, I, it's so much, you can't really do that as well. Well, right, it's because there's a
1: real cost to doing yes. it in terms of yes. credits. That's right. It's, it's not that you can't special. do it. No, there are that there's, yeah. a few states that are actually very cool and that take homeschool credits seriously, just the same way that they would take a private school credit. But those states are the exception. Georgia is not one of those states where we live. Right. It's not one of those states. And in fact... Our high school students mostly can't transfer credits to public schools. Mostly, they won't transfer. Even homeschool credits that are accredited in Georgia don't necessarily yeah. transfer to public or private schools. So it, so coming here for a year might be fun. It might revitalize your love of learning, but it might not be the best option for you because there's a, there's a big cost to doing it.
0: I, I and think you need to... Yeah, you need to be aware. You just need to be aware. That's all. You need to know what you're getting yourself into is is a thing.
1: Yeah, and high school is is definitely a bigger deal. And I I want to say I feel like um, Suzanne, you and I are both kind of classical adjacent homeschoolers. We're definitely <laughs> like sitting around the table. We do lessons. We read together with our kids. Like those are the kinds of homeschoolers that we are. Um, and and I think like that's 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 fine. Uh, But these things are true, I think, even if you're a more relaxed homeschooler, even if you're an unschooler, or you're a child-led learner, or you're a project-based learner. All of these lessons, I think, apply just as equally to people doing those kinds of things. Our examples tend to be more academic-y, because we're more academic-y. I mean, we we just kind of are. We're nerds. We
0: started a school.
1: (laughs) It's true. (laughs) We did. So, I, yeah, I feel like we need a nerd disclaimer there.
0: I know. I know. But, again, you could do the same thing. Know where you are, know where you're starting, and think about the goal. Think about yes. And then think of all the different paths you can take to get from where you are to that goal, that in goal. Because that
1: is the really empowering thing is that there is no single path. There are mm-hmm. infinite lines that can get you where, to, where you need to go. And if you end up taking a wrong turn. Well, you can just take another turn and get back where you wanted to go. It's, it's, their possibilities are infinite and you you are not ever stuck. You're not jumping options. off a cliff. Yeah. Yes. Yep. I, love, I love, Suzanne always says that to parents and I love that. I think
0: that's so true.
1: <laughs> it's not jumping off a cliff, maybe off a
0: diving board sometimes. That's right. You make it all wet. <laughs> you have to spend some time drying off. I don't know where this metaphor is going. But. but. <laughs> You may be soggy, but you're okay. But you sure okay. Uh, well, okay. That's everything on my my lessons learned list. I have What do you? What do you one have? One more list?
1: thing on my list, yeah. which is yeah. name. I'm your f- This is
0: the grand finale. This is the grand finale thing, Amy.
1: Well, then I. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm owning it. Name your files so that you can find them again. Yeah, I have this is downloaded <laughs> so much stuff over the years onto my computer, and. There have been so many times where I'm like, I know I downloaded an astronomy unit study about Orion. Where is it? And I'm searching, and I can't find it. But it turns out that you can tag things when you when you save them. You can tag them. You can name them the names that aren't asked. Orion which is what I had actually named this, which is why I couldn't find it. So do not trust yourself to remember what you named it. Never believe
0: in yourself. Don't believe in yourself. That's it. our ultimate message. Yeah. You're going to fail. That's, your, that's the message we want when to say. When it forget.
1: comes to remembering file names, I really think, like, name it the most obvious thing and then tag it 10 other obvious things because it is hard to find the stuff that you
0: say. No, I, I 100%... Co-sign this. This is good advice. Take <laughs> it to the bank. Um, this is life-changing. This is quality of life kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Name your files, people, because you know, you know. I spent half an hour this morning trying to find something in my email that Amy oh, has sent me. I know, half an hour. Something no, no, it wasn't you. I couldn't, think of I couldn't think of. Anyway, I found it. That's all that matters. That's the half an hour I'll never get back. <laughs> um, but that's fine. Uh, and a half, half, an half an hour. An hour, hour. Is pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Huh. Well, hey, hey, before we get on to our next thing, uh, we have a sponsor this week. Um, oh, it's yes. pretty exciting. Uh, <laughs> the sponsor is us. Yay, <laughs> us. <laughs> It's cool life. Uh, we want to tell you a little bit about our Patreon account. Um, uh, some of you are already fabulous Patreon supporters. Thank you so much. If you haven't, uh, looked over at us on Patreon, patreon.com slash homeschool life, or if you search for homeschool life, you'll find us. Uh, we have so much good stuff going on there right now. And it's really been fun for Amy and I because setting it up on the Patreon has really allowed us to spend more time with it and to put more stuff out there. Um, so it's it's just been a win win, and and we really enjoy it. Um, I'm going to run real quickly through the subscriber tiers. Uh, for one dollar, just just you know, bargain bargain price of one dollar a month, you get early access to the podcast. This podcast, and you also get a monthly post from Amy, who writes about all kinds of nerdy things all the time. <laughs> hey. Um, the, the, the big deal though, this has got to be the best deal is the, the $2, $2 a month. You get the homeschool life magazine subscription, which is fabulous. I, I understand. I heard, I heard maybe a rumor that, that the winter, the winter episode, the winter episode, the winter issue is looking, is looking pretty good. Yes. Is, it's is it's, four,
1: it's four digital issues a year of homeschool life. We have great content um I, I'm biased of course uh coming up in the winter issue we've got a fantastic feature on writing your high school transcript one of the questions I get asked oh my the gosh. Most often yeah. plus our winter reading guide which I always love writing because summer reading is great but let's face it winter is the time to cuddle up with a book
0: mm-hmm. absolutely um, yeah, so we're doing our magazine subscriptions uh, via the Patreon now, and that's the $2 a month tier. Also at the $2 a month tier, you get a entered into a unit study raffle. We have all these great unit studies that we are making available to um, subscribers. Uh, at the $5 a month tier, you get access to our Library Chicken Podcasts. Now, if you've been wondering, hey, where did Amy and Suzanne go? Why aren't they podcasting? Well, okay, partly is we started a school, and that's real tiring. (laughs) It keeps us busy. But we have uh, been able recently in the past few months to start doing some short, what we call library chicken podcasts, where we are just talking about the books that we've read um, and maybe a little bit about what's going on at the Academy. So they're not as long as these podcasts. They're a lot of fun. Uh, they're much less, they're much easier for us. So we put out about three a month. Yes. Um, we're on holiday hiatus now, but starting like in the second half of January, we'll be putting those up regularly. So you get that at $5 a month. Also, there's a monthly live chat that you have access to.
1: Yes, we. An- you can submit questions in advance, which we will cool. answer. Um, so that's always a good time
0: that is that is very good we like to give opinions we are we good have at that. many many opinions we have so please take some please take <laughs> some of our opinions i don't know what to do at the ten dollars a month uh that gets you the print subscription to the magazine you get the so at the two dollars, you get you're already getting the digital, right? Yes. And then at ten dollars, you get the print subscription to the magazine. The print editions are published. There's that's twice a year, right? That yes. comes out twice a year.
1: They're nice um, fat
0: editions. They are it's, so pretty. They're so it's pretty the winter, and
1: glossy. Winter spring edition and the summer fall edition, yes. and they're, they're they're so
0: nice. They're a thing of beauty and a joy forever. Um, and then at the big the the twenty dollars a month. Um, that comes with a homeschool subscription box that we send out twice a year. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the the box, the fabulous box of goodies.
1: There's a holiday box. I think of it as a holiday box and a summer planning box. So the holiday box is full of books because everybody wants to read and socks and knitting projects and kitchen gadgets and our favorite cookbooks, that kind of stuff. The summer planning box is full of sticky notes and pencils and pretty notebooks and organizing things and file folders that are so pretty. And um, calendars and all our favorite kind of homeschool planning stuff.
0: I mean, because school is just an opportunity to go to the office <laughs> supply store. Basically. It
1: really it's, is. It's, really. it's actually nice for me because then I get to buy myself lots of fun school supplies. You've got to try it out.
0: You've, You've got, got
1: to try it.
0: You have to. T- so that's at the $20 a month. You get those yes, you know, the boxes come out twice boxes. a year.
1: But you also get a complete unit study every month, which is usually right. at least three weeks long. So you could homeschool on just unit studies
0: yeah. if you wanted. Yeah. So those are so twenty twenty dollars gets the monthly unit study materials and the homeschool subscription, and then. At every level, we, like I said, we're having a lot of fun. So we are we are constantly thinking of new kind of goodies to put up there for all of our subscribers. I know you did a really fabulous uh, seminar over the summer that is available to all subscribers at all levels.
1: Yes, you can log in and watch our uh, homeschooling high school summer seminar. I think it was a was it a seven weeks session with uh, videos and question and answer sessions. So there's some great content there on everything from AP classes to finding the right college to figuring out what topics you should teach in high school.
0: So we, we are constantly trying to come up with, I think I'm going to throw some of my Hamilton history lectures up Ooh. there. Um, so I feel, you know, we're always coming up with some, some new stuff. So, you know, check back in with us. And if I you have ideas, say,
1: let us know. Oh, we
0: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. Um, I, I will also say that I just, you know, I have only been a Patreon subscriber to various people for the past few years. And um, whether or not you subscribe with us, I, I, really enjoy being a Patreon subscriber. The world is often difficult right now. Uh, so I, since I'm a big reader, I primarily support like at the $1 or $2 a month, various authors. And it feels like such a direct contribution you are making to things being a little bit better. <laughs> it's It's been really good for my mental health, Right. That that even in this, you know, even in these kind of difficult, challenging times, I can support people who I know share um, some of my values and who are making some really great art uh, right now and who are only able to do so because of their Patreon. And it's costing me a dollar a month. Um, so, yeah, yeah that's I will been
1: my say It does feel more personal than any other kind of kind of thing that I've done when when someone you know, supports us on Patreon. I I it sounds cheesy, but like I'm immediately inspired to do something new and better for it because it, right. it feels like a real um it sounds so cheesy, but like a like a kind of a, a vote of confidence and support that is it's really it's so nice direct. to have. Sometimes it's, yeah even with all the connection of the internet, like working on a project, a publishing project in twenty twenty can feel lonely. It, it can feel yeah. quiet and, like, your voice is the only voice in the room. And so having someone chime in and say, hi, I'm here, too, is, is really – it's kind of beautiful. And, and I, I love it. I'm so thankful for all of our Patreon supporters. I, it's I can't really – it's,
0: it's getting lovely on out. both sides. Oh, I don't get – yeah. Well, I mean, and, and the truth is but we are only able to do this because Patreon. You know, we have yeah. a lot going on in our lives. And, and, you know, we have to pay for children to go to college and things. So <laughs> – if we they have to,
1: choose to go to college,
0: if they choose to go to college, so um, so we are very, very grateful. We encourage you to check it out and check out the different tiers. And uh, yeah, I think that's that. That was a word from our sponsor. And now right. back to our show. Um, where we are on vacation, so <laughs> <laughs> life is good. Except- Speaking
1: of thirty minutes of your life that you'll never get back.
0: Except Amy, this is your fault. Okay.
1: Oh no, that's not fair at
0: all. I, I feel like it. okay. So it's Stardew Valley. That's what I'm talking about. If you're not familiar with Stardew Valley, I am talking about a computer game that you can play on your phone uh, every or on your night computer. for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> Where you you make a little yep. farm, and if there's there's been a lot of farming games over the years, and this is kind of another iteration on that. You can farm and you can fish. But, you but don't like,
1: also it's cool because
0: there's a wizard
1: and no there wizard. are magical forest people. I mean, it has it has layers of complexity.
0: I have not only brown chickens and white chickens, but void chickens. Uh, yes. That, do, you, do you have a blue chicken yet? I don't have a blue chicken. I didn't know there was. Anyway, so, so this is what happened. So, Amy came in like last semester and was like, is it wrong? Over the summer, like, It was
1: over the summer. So this is why I don't think it's my fault. Cause you waited so long. I feel like my the statute of limitations for it to be my fault has expired. You know,
0: like, is it wrong that I spend more time on Stardew Valley than like, I don't know, interacting with my husband or my children. And I was like, no, that sounds excellent to me. In fact, what is this game? I would like to perhaps <laughs> check it out. And, um, I was okay, originally I was thinking because I'm I'm one of my self-improvement projects uh, on the side is is trying to get uh, back into language learning and starting with Spanish. And everybody's like, oh, you can play a video game in another language. And that's really helpful. And it's fun. And I'm like, Ooh, I'll do that with Stardew Valley, except I can't because my Spanish is really not good enough to do that. Um, so I kind of <laughs> set it aside for a while. And then over this holiday season, my my four kids who uh Their age range is 21 to 14 right now. Uh, They all got in on a Stardew Valley game themselves, which was really cool. So the four of them were playing together, like working on the same farm. And uh, I really enjoyed listening to them do that. And I was like, oh, I should pull out that Stardew Valley that that Amy made me get back, you know, before. (laughs) And I may have... A problem is what I'm saying. It's I mean, I'm not so saying I was up to 3 a.m. last night, but I'm not not saying that. I mean, yeah. So, all the stuff I was going to get done over the holiday, Amy, all of the things I told you I would do to get ready for next semester, um, <laughs> I have a cow <laughs> and well, I a goat. Was,
1: I was going <laughs> to say, do you have goats yet? Because if you have goats, it was all worth it.
0: <laughs> I, I, I have goats, I have a goat. I have a goat and I'm, I'm trying to get enough hardwood to build a stable. So that was my hangover. Um, that and I'm drinking less Coke. So when over the holidays, when I drink a Coke, I don't sleep apparently. Uh, so between Coke and Stardew Valley, I am, I am, I feel so hungover. I no alcohol was involved. It was just not sleeping and, and getting a crick in my neck and in my hand from, you know, Trying to fish on Stardew Valley, which is okay, a nightmare on Stardew Valley game.
1: really, really hard.
0: <laughs> no, it's it is a nightmare hellscape, and, and but I still need to do it. So anyway, uh, have you been doing anything fun except Stardew Valley? Have you? Do you have any? How about you? How many goats do you have? I'm just curious. I just want to know. Not that we're well, competing or anything.
1: I mean, I am in year nine. At this point, <laughs> I've played so much that I'm in year nine. So I have i, I have nine goats and several barns and fourteen oh pigs. My
0: gosh. I know fourteen pigs. I, I I'm not going to tell you where I am because I the children asked where I was and I told them and they're like, Mom, you only started like three days ago. Yeah. How many hours have you spent on this game? And I'm like, I'm not talking to you anymore. Yeah, my children are are terrible
1: about it, but that's fine, whatever. I find it very relaxing.
0: I have uh, actually seriously seen a lot of people on the web say that they use it kind of like as a mood stabilizer, right? Like at the end of the day, a a decompression transition, you know, spend half an hour. That's what I need to learn how to do is to spend half an hour (laughs) and not four hours well, the days um,
1: last, like, exactly the right amount of time so that you always want to do one more, I feel.
0: That's oh, no. They, it's it's very – it's it's with brain chemistry, right? Because you want to finish up the day because then the game saves. But then you want to start – you're working on a project. And right. you want to just get started. And you can do just one – see, this is a thing. Just one more day. It's like just one more chapter in cross-stitch. Just one yeah. more – you know, just one more – Day is what is leading to my my Stardew Valley hangovers.
1: It's very, very addictive. But I, of course, have been playing Stardew Valley and knitting because holidays are knitting season for me and finishing the winter issue, which
0: I'm very excited about. Which is very cool. Um, Yeah. So if I wasn't, my plan, my plan had been to not play Stardew Valley for obsessive length (laughs) of time. It had been to, like, get a lot of reading done. Um, and, uh, that is not, not exactly what's been happening, but in general, you and I have been talking about, uh, comfort reading lately because it seems like we've needed it a little bit more than you. 2019 was a, was a big year for comfort reading, I think, in my house. I think
1: we were saying, right, weren't we saying that, um, in in life you always have comfort books, right? And every, like, I don't know six to eight months you kind of have to dive into some comfort reading and you read comfort books for a while but since 2016 uh-huh. like I have needed to read some comfort book like every week I, yeah. I'm not even exaggerating I, I feel like I might be understating it like comfort no. reading has been my go-to
0: well, and it, the thing is, I kind of used up my regular comfort well, reading because, you know, it's you not, and I. It's not used up, but it's yeah. like,
1: it's become, like, because I would read The Blue Castle, say, which is a comfort mm. book that I have talked about many times. I love The Blue Castle by Ellen Montgomery. I have read it, like, three times a year. Right. The last four years.
0: It okay. doesn't have an impact after that, right? You no. just can't. You lose, yeah.
1: Because, because the key to comfort reading, I think, is that you have to be engaged in it, right? Like yes. if You know, every single beat, it's, you lose that engagement and your brain starts to wander. That's the thing is that comfort reading has to focus your brain enough. So that you can fall into the soothing world of the so that you're reading. not
0: thinking about everything else. That's, yeah, no, I found that. I mean, I think with Jane Austen, I can't. Our, our you know, uh, mine, mine is the Blue Sword by Robin McKinley yes. is one that I have gone back to and back to. And then, of course, the comfort reading that we bonded over early on, which is Sorcery and Cecilia, um, yes, that nobody else has ever had ever heard of. But uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, you're so my good. best friend
1: officially because of that. Like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it, but but I, c- I found that I needed to find new new comfort reading. I need to have like a new shelf of comfort yes. reading to, to handle all of <laughs> No, I'm with you. It's do.
1: like you've really had to sort of expand into new books that, that like, mm-hmm. so, so you're building new comfort reading. You're rereading which is, books like to make new comfort reading.
0: Which is nice, right? I mean, I picked up, my husband's comfort reading is um, To Say Nothing of the Dog by Connie Welles. Oh, which is so a, he
1: has excellent <laughs> taste in comfort reading as well as in wives. Go,
0: Philip, <laughs> up. Which is such a fun, giant, thick uh, time travel Victorian it's funny. It's I highly recommended uh to say nothing of the dog. Um, he also The don't get
1: lured in by the other Connie Willis books of oh. comfort reading because because while some of them are excellent. To say nothing of the dog is really the only one that's comfort reading.
0: Yeah, and it's the only one that's funny. There's one yep. that's set in the same universe that is about the plague. Don't read that. That is not comfort reading. You will not feel comforted in at the end of it. You will not Even
1: though World War 2 the blackout
0: series. Oh yeah. 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 That's no, not that's really not comfort reading. That's not comfort reading. Um, he also likes, uh, I don't know if you've ever read any Stephen Bruce. Um, he's a, uh, a fantasy author. Um, mm-hmm. and he's got the long setting series going. That's very cool. But in this, in this world that he has created, he has basically written a series that's in homage to the three musketeers, to the three musketeers series, uh, by Alexander Dumas. So, um, He, it's called, the first one is called The Phoenix Guards, and it's this giant thick book, like The Three Musketeers, and it follows these four people, you know, it's, again, it's echoing Three Musketeers, but one of the most fun things about it, it's an adventure story, right? It's a sword and sorcery kind of adventure story, but if you've read The Three Musketeers, you know that it is a teensy bit padded, right? Like, like, He was definitely getting paid by the word, right? So this book kind of consciously follows that model and it drives some people crazy but my husband and i we love it because like every conversation is there is like hey i have something to tell you and it's like oh you do well please tell me what it is you have to say it's like i am getting ready to do that that is just the thing i am about to do is to tell you the thing it's like oh well i cannot wait to hear the, like pages of dialogue like that and i know that would make some people just you know literally have a you know burn it in Mm -hmm. front of them but um but i kind of adore everything about it um so anyway so that's fun and then my daughter's comfort reading is james harriet i i that was something i read as a kid that my dad introduced me to all creatures great and small you you read that
1: to her didn't you
0: i didn't i had it i i suggested i think i made her read it i think it was a required reading but we did not do it as a read aloud because the very first story in the very first book is him with, like, arms deep in the back end of a cow. And I didn't know <laughs> if I wanted to do that as a read aloud. I can't imagine why not. But as, um, but she, all, you know, my kids that I've asked to read it, they most of them really enjoyed it. But what she's pointed out about it is it's very episodic. So you can... You know, he tells each each story is like little self contained, so you can go in and read. If you haven't read All Creatures Great and Small, highly recommend it. The story of a, a vet, um, I try to remember, he's in Yorkshire, um, like right before World War Two, um, and it's funny and heartwarming, and 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 you can dip in and out and read about goats and horses and you know ducks if you're trying to get away from playing Stardew Valley all the time. <laughs> Why? Um, but what is what is some of your old comfort reading that you find is not working for you anymore?
1: Well, you know that I have always loved Katie Ford's books. She's a oh, British yeah. author. She's not very popular in the United States. It's actually kind of hard to get your hands on her books over here. But they're all about um, youngish to middle-aged women who sort of discover that they don't want to do whatever high powered thing they've been doing and they want to go off into the country and they fix up an old house and they grate cheese over things and turn out to be good at cooking and have to worry like they have to have some kind of garden fate to fund their new project and they live happily ever after. I've always found those very satisfying, but I've read them way too much lately. Also Pride and Prejudice, also The Blue Castle. So I have actually found, um, That one of the books that you introduced me to has become my new comfort reading, Map and Lucia,
0: which oh my gosh, yes,
1: which I just and and then of course the books that go with it, Miss Map and Queen Lucia, uh, which are about two uh, British women of uh, of a certain age living in the little British town of Tilling, Mm -hmm. and they sort of compete to be the queen bee of British society. Gosh, I guess it must be like the twenties or the late Edwardian period.
0: It's and so fun because it's so low stakes, but the drama is so high. It's the drama
1: is so... like who who played the dummy hand in Bridge Badly. <laughs> so, I mean, that's like drama I can handle.
0: <laughs> I know. Well, it is like I have to come to Amy and be like, I don't understand all the Bridge references. I to do love Bridge. Uh, but, no, those are so fun. And there's some great adaptations, too, yeah. for to watch while you knit. Is awesome.
1: Yes, yes, they're both very delightful, and um, and I of course Agatha Christie for me is great oh, yeah. for this because she has so many books, and they kind mm-hmm. of run together. Like they're not all exceptional books, but, right. but they're enough so that you don't always feel like you're repeating. Like
0: no, it's like eating potato chips, right? Yeah, you just go it's next like one.
1: potato right. chips. And then a comfort book that has surprised me is uh, the Magician's Trilogy. Oh, You're yeah. Victim, right? Yeah, by Lev Grossman. Mm-hmm. Well, so, so you know, you probably remember that I was very angry at these books when I first read them a few years ago. I, I mean, I think, yeah, I you prayed. had a whole rant,
0: I think. You had, you did have a rant. I mean, deserved. I don't,
1: don't deserve. want to spoil anything for anybody right. who's, who's going to read it, but I, but I will say that there is a um, a sexual assault on a female character that is kind of a, a fundamental piece of the plot of the book and the way that it was handled really bothered me. That's not too
0: spoilery, right? No, Um, it's, it's not good. It's, it's a horrible scene. And I don't think the author handled it well, which is not a judgment on him as a human being. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's a tough, tough scene.
1: Well, and it's it's a scene that has implications that echo through the entire series, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's like right. the implications of that shape everything else that happens in the series. And so, the first time I read the series, that was all I could see. I mean, I I I really I was I was so upset. I mean, I remember like complaining to you yeah. at lunch. I I think yeah. I I did. I ranted. Um, but then. The TV series came out, which which my husband, Jason, really wanted to watch. And so I I thought, and, and the TV series is a hoot. Have you watched it?
0: I haven't. I haven't. I keep meaning to. There's so I many mean, good things on my list. It's
1: hilarious. I, I, I cannot say if it is good or bad, but it is a hoot. <laughs> and it really felt like they were taking different events of the book. They were putting them in a bag, shaking up the bag, and grabbing um, a handful for each season. Yep. Yeah. And then like trying to put them together without actually reading the book. Does that make sense? Oh, that's
0: that's very funny. That does was, sound entertaining.
1: It was very fun. So I wanted to go back and reread the books to get the book straight in my head. Does that Because yeah. I was like, wait, I do not think that this happened. So anyway, <laughs> so I went back and reread the books. And I found that because I knew that this terrible thing was going to happen, I was less bothered by it. And I was able to enjoy the kind of hogwarts narnia-esque-ness of them the like um Mm -hmm. and and it's like a like a grown-up hogwarts and narnia so it's so it's full of disappointment and people making bad decisions but but also magic and other worlds which is so cool
0: and And i think it is very much a a loving homage to those like you've got to be able you've got to love those books to start with in order to then write a series like this. Yes.
1: And so it turns out that I quite like them and find them quite comforting be- because I know that this terrible thing is in it and it didn't, I don't know what that says about me as a person or about the world or about the books, but, but I, I find that I myself going back to them again and again.
0: I think there's something about that series too, because I've I read it twice. I read it once, like as the books were coming out and, and I had, Uh, many of the same issues you did. And I just kind of, it felt like a chore, you know? um, I liked them enough to keep reading them. But, and then I went, I don't remember why, but I, I, I wanted to go back and read them like back to back, the three of them in a row. And I found that that experience, reading them all together was so much better. Um, Maybe part of it was, I knew what the outline of the story was, but with the three of them back to back, I, I, I really jumped in my in my estimation of how much how much I enjoyed them. So so that's it. they're all out. So you can go ahead yeah. and do that. Uh, maybe that is the
1: piece of it that, that it's really the three of them together mm-hmm. that make it a comfort book. Because I do read them straight. There are other series, like I'll read the Casale Chronicles, and I will pick up uh, one or two of them in any right. order and read them and be comforted by them. Or Agatha Christie's. You don't have to read straight through. But the magicians, I always read the three books in order straight through. So
0: maybe that. Well, I think it's nice to have when you're doing comfort reading, that kind of long unending. um, Yes. I mean, I did that last year. I read through all of the Woodhouse, Jeeves, and Wooster in order, which I had never done. And which I really, I mean, I've read them all before, off and on several times, but Reading them and seeing the kind of build, the absurdity build and all the callbacks, I really enjoyed it. And um, I'm doing a Dorothy Sayers, Peter Wimsey read through right now. Um, you know how I feel
1: about that. The only Peter Wimsey that I can really get into is the Harriet Vane and Peter Whimsey.
0: I understand, but you're missing out on, you know, Peter Parker. Peter Parker, you're missing out on <laughs> Spider Man's in it. Did you guys know that Spider Man is in it? You're missing out on, on Miss Clemson, extra Miss Clemson. I do your, your, love Miss
1: Clemson. And Murder Must Advertise, I think, is a yeah. great detective story. Yeah. I do. I, and and so it has a Harriet Vane in sight.
0: I think it's fine to do just the Harriet Vane's, but I also like, you know, I'm enjoying doing the whole the whole re- reread. And And I'll go back to, you know, I I go back to Shirley Jackson. Um, I I don't know if it counts. I mean, Georgette Hire is definitely one of my comfort reads, but I'm not, like, rereading her. I haven't read all of her romances yet. She has, like, a gajillion. So what I'll do is I'll check out, like, three from the library. And with her, I find that if I check out three, one of them I'm really going to like, one of them I'm really going to dislike, and one of them is eh. You know? And, uh, but I... But I know what to expect, and I am slowly building a list of like three or four that I have started to go back to because they're right at the the tippy top. But I, I will say I think, I think I need to inaugurate some new comfort reading for the shelf. I think I got two new books to put on it um, that really this past year, when I went back and reread The Sorcerer to the Crown uh, by Zen Cho, I was like, oh. This should definitely be on my comfort reading list. Um, And then the other book is a book I I, I just, I I pushed in your hands. I think I haunted you. I think I wouldn't let you leave until you promised you'd read it, which was a space opera by Catherine Valenti, which I haven't reread, but I can 100% I I, I plan to. Um, Those are two new books that I, I feel really rewarding as comfort reads.
1: Well, you also um, gave me one of my big comfort read series, which I should have mentioned. I can't believe I didn't, which is the 100,000 Kingdoms trilogy, which I have actually read three times since okay, I so discovered would you it call
0: that, last winter. That's really interesting to me that you'd call it comfort reading, though, because N.K. Jenison is not uh, easy, necessarily. No, but it's, <laughs> I mean, oh easy is not what I'm looking for. Favorite. I mean...
1: It's world building.
0: That's true. It's
1: it's that empowerment of women and marginalized
0: people. I mean, I absolutely would have her on my reread shelf. These wonderful ideas
1: about religion and its place in the world and redemption. Have you finished? Have you read The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms yet?
0: The whole thing? The new one, I don't think I have. I think I I, I, haven't. Again, I she feels like um, I want to be gave her, give her my full attention, right? Yeah. You know, oh. like I need to clear my calendar a little bit. Well, that's and why I the first been. time
1: that you read it. I think that you have to read it like that. But then you can yeah. read it again, and there's so much hope and yeah. redemption it's and true. goodness and people asking good questions and listening to other people and giving good answers. And
0: I mean, there's I, so I, much good writing out I there. I right really, really, really love great. those
1: books. I find them incredible. Incredibly. The first time I read them, they blew my mind, and I wanted to talk about them all the time. But I I find that they reread great in the sense Mm. of being comforting and revealing new things. Exactly what you want from comfort reading, where you're like, that's very
0: cool. Okay. Okay. I will definitely keep that in mind. She's amazing Um,
1: and totally my favorite writer find of last year, which I can't even take credit for because she was really your writer find. But oh my gosh. (laughs) Read more N.K. Jemison in 2020.
0: That's right, and Catherine Valente, and Show and uh, all the other wonderful people out there, out there writing. Well, Amy, I, 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 don't, I hate to wrap this up, but I do have to check in with my farm. Um, okay,
1: okay, that's true. And didn't you promise me that we were going to go get uh, chips and salsa? I feel like chips I was and promised salsa. chips and salsa. So chips that and is a wrap.
0: wrap. <laughs> and
1: the, yeah, <laughs> we're wrapping. That's a wrap for this episode of the podcast with Suzanne and Amy brought to you by Homeschool Life magazine and our fabulous Patreon supporters. We would love to hear from you. What homeschool topics would you like us to address in future episodes? Suzanne says, please, please, please send suggestions so that I don't keep trying to work the Marxist dialectic into every planning session. She would appreciate your help. (laughs)
0: Please, please, please. So we will be back
1: soon, especially if you send us some great ideas with more conversation about all the places where home, school, and life intersect. Happy New Year. Make sure you're registered to vote.
0: Bye.